Welcome to A Message of Grace. In this message, Pastor Bruce Gellhorn reflects on life lessons that applied in the days of Abraham and that are as relevant today as they were thousands of years ago. Let's listen. Now I want to forewarn you. My uh, lesson intro is very long, but my sermon is short. The story of this great nation begins with Abraham and Sarah. They are advanced in years and they have no heir. Sarah takes matters into her own hands and sends her handmaiden Hagar in to lie with her husband Abraham to grant them a child. This was the custom of the day. And she gives birth, Hagar, the handmaiden, becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son named Ishmael. Tuck that name in the back of your head for a few minutes and hold on to it. But lo and behold, Sarah becomes pregnant when she is 90 and gives birth to a son named Isaac. But there is jealousy because Ishmael is Abraham's firstborn. So Ishmael is to receive the lion's share of the inheritance and the blessing that God would make a great nation. So Sarah convinces Abraham to banish Hagar and Ishmael to send them away. Now Isaac marries Rebekah and they have twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the firstborn and he is the one to inherit the lion's share and to inherit the blessing. But Jacob and Jacob's mom, Rebecca, would like Jacob to receive the blessing. One day Esau comes in from hunting and he was, has no game that he has caught and he is famished. So he sells his birthright to his brother Jacob. And when it comes time to receive the birthright, Jacob is not like Esau. He is more an inside with thoughts and ideas. And because Esau is a hunter, he's outside in the weather and his skin is rough and weathered like leather and he is very hairy. So to trick his dad, he puts animal skins on his arms, goes into dad and dad reaches out and feels and, oh, it's Esau, and gives Jacob the blessing. Jacob has to run away. He flees to his uncle Laban. And on his way there, he meets a young woman who has come out to draw water, and her name is Rachel. And he is smitten with her, and he falls in love with her. And it is Laban's daughter. And Laban says, you have to work for me for seven years, and then you can marry Rachel. So Jacob works for seven years. It's the wedding day. The wedding unfolds. The ceremony takes place. They are married. And he lifts the heavy veil from her face through which no one can see in and neither can she see out. And as he lifts the veil, it's not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. And Jacob says, What have you done? And Laban says, well, in our country, 
it's the custom that the eldest daughter marries before the youngest. If you want, Rachel, you have to work for me for another seven years. You know, we have a word, karma, right? The trickster, Jacob, tricks his father into giving him birthright, gets tricked. What goes around comes around. Now Jacob works another four years. Or pardon me, seven years. Now Leah, his first wife, she gives birth to four sons. However, you know, infertility is nothing new to this family. Rachel is not able to bear a child. So she sends her handmaiden in to lay with Jacob, which is the custom of the land. And her handmaiden has two sons in her stead. Leah, not wanting uh, to be outdone, sends her handmaiden in to Jacob, and they have two more sons. And then Leah gives birth to yet two more, bringing the total to ten. And finally, Rachel conceives and bears Joseph, the favored wife, the favored son. Dear old dad favors Joseph as he grows up and has him made a special coat, a coat of many colors. There is sibling sibling rivalry in this family, though, because you got a favorite one and those who are not so favored. And to make matters worse, Joseph, when he's about 17 years old, he has these dreams. He dreams that he and his brothers are working the fields and they're stooking sheaves of wheat. You older people know what that means. And his brother's sheaves bow down to his throw gasoline on the fire of this sibling rivalry. He also has a dream that there's the sun and the moon and ten stars, and all these bow down to him. His brothers are not happy with him. One day his brothers are off in a distant land keeping watch over Jacob's flocks, and Jacob sends Joseph out to check on them to see how they're doing. Joseph His brothers see him coming from a long distance off because of this special coat, and they conspire to kill him. One of the brothers, Reuben, convinces them not to kill Joseph, but to throw him into a pit. And so they throw him into a pit, and Reuben's plan is to go get him out later. But the brothers see these Ishmaelite traitors. You hear that word? Ishmaelite. You remember what name I told you to tuck in the back of your mind? Hagar and Ishmael, Ishmaelite. These are the descendants of Ishmael, Hagar's son by Abraham. And so they sell Joseph to these Ishmaelite traders. So I find it kind of rather ironic that the son who was cast out and cut off, his descendants now own the favored one. They sell Joseph to these traders for 20 pieces of silver. Now, no doubt, you will in your mind think, hey, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Well, 
In Joseph's day and age, 20 pieces of silver would be about 10,000 bucks. Ten brothers, they each make $1,000 for selling their brother. Now Reuben goes back to the pit to let Joseph out, and he's no longer there. So they take his coat, they kill a lamb and smear it with blood, smear the coat with blood. And they take it back to dear old dad and say, you know, we are watching the flocks, and as we are coming home, look what we found out in the wilderness. It looks like he met his end at the, by some wild beast. Now these Ishmaelite traders take Joseph to Egypt, where he is purchased by Potiphar. Now Potiphar is an officer in Pharaoh's army, the captain of the guard. And this is what the Bible says. You can go home and read it. It says this exactly. Joseph was handsome and good-looking. Okay. Now, Potiphar's wife had a roving eye. And she wanted Joseph to sleep with her, but he would not. Day after day, she tried to get him into bed with her, but he wouldn't. So what, finally one day she grabs him and tries to wrestle him into bed with her to make love to her. And he spins around and she has hold of his garment and he runs away. But a woman spurned. She takes the garment and she says to the other slaves in her house and to her husband, look what happened. This Hebrew you brought into, your, into our house tried to rape me. They put Joseph into prison. And while he is in prison, in jail, he interprets dreams for some of the other prisoners, particularly two of Pharaoh's people, one his cupbearer and one his chief baker. The dreams that he interprets for the cupbearer are favorable. He says, oh, in three days, you're going back to the uh, employee of Pharaoh. And to the baker, he says, oh, this is not so good, because in three days, you will be hanged. And he says to the cupbearer, remember me to Pharaoh because I've done nothing to be here. Well, what he prophesied from the dreams comes to pass, but the cupbearer doesn't do anything for two years. But then Pharaoh has some dreams. And none of Pharaoh's court can interpret the dreams. And then the cupbearer remembers, ah, oh, there was this guy in prison named Joseph. He was pretty good at this. Maybe we should get him. So Joseph comes and interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh's dreams are, he has a dream that there are these fat, plump cows come up out of the Nile River, seven of them. And they're eating and grazing, and then up out of the Nile River comes seven skinny, emaciated, weak, skinny cows, and they eat the fat cows, yet they remain skinny. And his other dream was there were seven plump ears of corn and up sprang seven very skinny, scraggly ears of corn, and they ate the fat corn, and they still remained skinny and scraggly. And Joseph says, your dreams mean this. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of great famine. Famine so intense that the fat years will be eaten up and will still be hungry. And so Joseph proposes to Pharaoh that what Pharaoh does is that he starts putting aside one-fifth, one-fifth of the harvest for each of the next seven years to make plans for the lean years. 
Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he puts him in charge. And Joseph becomes a governor in charge of this food program. The years pass. The famine comes. And it affects Joseph's dad and brothers too. And so Jacob says, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. He sends his ten sons. Now, Rachel has given birth to yet another son, Benjamin. He doesn't send Benjamin. He sends the ten. You go to Egypt and get us some grain. Now, in Egypt, the brothers come, and Joseph recognizes them. But they don't recognize him. They have no idea it's him. Remember, he's about 17 when they threw him in the pit. And at least a decade has passed. He has become a grown man. They don't recognize him. And he, he treats them harshly. He accuses them of being spies. And they say, no, no, we're honest men. And he says, well, tell me about yourselves. And they say they have another brother back home. And he puts them in prison and says... He's going to send one of them back home to bring the youngest brother there. And he leaves him in prison for three days. And he brings him out, and he flips it around. He says, no, the rest of you can go back, and you bring your brother back, so I know you're not spies, and I'm going to keep Simeon here. And so he keeps Simeon in the prison in Egypt. His brothers get their grain, they go back home, and on the way home, one of the brothers opens his sack to feed his donkey And not only is his sack full of grain, but there in the mouth of the sack is the money that he took for the grain. They take their sacks back home, they open them up, they pour them out, and all of the sacks had all the grain plus the money to buy the grain. They were afraid, and they tell their dad all that had happened and how this ruler, this governor, wants to see Benjamin. And the father says, I don't think so. I lost Joseph. Simeon's in prison in Egypt, and now you want to take Benjamin? Remember, Benjamin is born to Rachel. But the years go on, and they are hungry, and they've eaten up all the food that they brought back. So... Judah, one of the sons, says to Dad Jacob, send Benjamin with me. Use me for security. You can hold me accountable. And if something happens to the boy, you can kill my two sons. Now they come to Egypt, and Joseph sees them coming, and he sees Benjamin with them. And so he t- Joseph tells his steward, prepare a feast and bring the men to my house. Now, when the men see that they're going to Joseph's house, his brothers, they start to get worried. Oh, no. They know that we took, had this money, and we don't know who put the money in our sack. So they talk to the steward, and they say to the steward, okay, here's what happened last time, and here's the money from last time that we're bringing back, and here's the money to buy grain this time. Because they were honest. And the steward says, Rest assured, last time the grain you took was paid for. It must have been the gods. The gods must have smiled on you. 
Now Joseph, when his brothers are in his palace, he has to go wash his face because he's so overcome with grief. And portions of food are taken from Joseph's table and put on his brother's table to feed them. And he has his stewards give Benjamin, his full brother by his mother Rachel, portions that are five times as big as the portions to the rest of his brothers. And then Joseph commands the stewards to fill their sacks with grain, to put their money back in their sacks, and to put his silver cup into the sack of the youngest. And they send them on their way. And they leave, and they get a short distance from the city, and Joseph sends out his stewards and soldiers to go catch them and say, what have you done? One of you has taken our master's silver cup. And they say, no, we're honest men. None of us have taken that cup. If you find that cup in one of, their, one of our sacks, let him whose sack you find it in die. And they open up the sacks, and it's in Benjamin's sack. They tear their clothes. They are so distraught. They go back to Joseph's house, and the brothers bow down and fall on the ground before Joseph. And Joseph says that he whose cup the sack, he whose sack the cup was in, shall be my slave, and the rest can go. Judah steps forward. Don't be angry with me. To keep Benjamin would kill our father. Keep me instead. Now listen to our lesson. A reading from Genesis. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. 
I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. This is the sixth and final week that we shall read from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in this cycle. Using the metaphor of a planted seed and the story of Adam, Paul preaches passionately about Christ's mission and the mystery of eternity. The mystery of the resurrection of the body. And so in the the Apostles' Creed... We speak of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Let us listen. A reading from 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow... You do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is a also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was sown from the earth, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. 
the Holy Gospel according to the sixth chapter of St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you. If anyone takes your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend and expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, I said this sermon's going to be short. I got four points, so don't worry. First of all, parenting. Having favorites doesn't work. It's never a good thing. It sets up wonky family, family systems that cause decades, decades of dysfunction. It's important for parents to treat their kids the same, not to play favorites. Point one. My, my second point is that as children of God, we need to be wise. Joseph tested his brothers. He even kind of toyed with them a bit, did he not? Putting their money back in their sack, putting a cup in another's. Hey, you guys are stealing from me. And, you know, he tested his brothers, giving Benjamin more food because he grew up in that family system. His brothers were always, like many kids do, our kids too, hey, their cake's bigger than mine. Joseph tested his brothers to see where they were at. And, and in this world, as Christians, God does not call us to be doormats. God calls us to be as wise as serpents, and we need to be wise. And so sometimes that means testing the waters to see how the things are working and how the system's going. The third thing is that this passage is about grace. Not about grace, Lutheran Church, but about grace. You know, it, it makes me smile how God works. Uh, right now, in our dinner and a study, the study that I am leading is talking about, about grace 
what's so amazing about grace. Session four, that was a few weeks ago, this passage was the passage that Philip Yancey put in his sessions in the 1990s, because it's an older session, an older study. And here we have it today, the hand of God. But it's about grace, about responding with grace when a situation seems impossible. Joseph dealt graciously with his brothers when he could have thrown them in prison, put them to death for what they did to him. But he doesn't. He grants them grace upon grace upon grace. Who knows what was going on in Joseph's head? The yeeing, the yawing back and forth between anger for what they did to him and wanting to share God's grace. But in spite of the conversations going on in his head and in spite of the conversations that go on in our heads sometimes, back and forth, a hundred reasons why we should stick it to them because they hurt us so bad, Joseph leads the example of responding with grace and love. You heard Dorothy read that lesson and the last sentence is, they kissed and they talked. Fourth point, God can take the muck of human life and the sinfulness of human life and use it for good. Did God put Joseph in that pit? Did God sell Joseph to the traitors? Did God put Joseph in prison? No, human sinfulness did. Human sinfulness and jealousy put Joseph in the pit. Human hormones put Joseph in the prison. But God used that which was broken that which sprung out of sinfulness to bring about good. Fifth point. Joseph was a person of faith. After all he had been through, betrayed, thrown into the pit by his brothers, sold for a few dollars, a slave, falsely accused of rape, spending years in jail, waiting for the cupbearer to follow through on his promise, in spite of all of that, Joseph did not lose confidence in the goodness of God. In spite of all that happened to him in his life, Joseph did not lose confidence in God. He says to his brothers in our reading today, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So on this day, remember Parenting, testing the waters, it's all about grace. And God can take the muck of human life and work good. And Joseph was a person of faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to A Message of Grace. If you would like more information on our congregation and how we can be of service to you, please visit our website at www.gracelutheran.ca or check us out on Facebook. Peace be with you.